Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis 17. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, it's too late? You ever heard that phrase? We use it, and I bet you guys could come up with some other things for me, but we use it in relation to maybe what time it is and when you want to call somebody. Well, it's too late to call them. It's like one in the morning. Don't call them. We use it. It's too late. And the fact that they've already left. No, it's too late. They're already gone. We use it in relation to the fact that the store might be closed. It's too late to go shopping over there or to leave for the store. And then we use it. It's been used with us. It's too late when the grades are already submitted. There's no going back. And so, today, and we're used to hearing that phrase, and like I said, you guys probably can fill that in, uh, some additional uh, things in my, uh, uh, that you deal with it with. Um, but with Sarah, we're going to learn with faith, it's never too late. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning. We're going to be in uh, chapter 11, verses 11 through 16, which says, By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead, at that, at that as many, at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without having, without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray this morning. As we look at Sarah and this midstream wrap-up that we have in your word, I pray that you will speak to us, that you will guide us, that you will help us to understand what you're up to in these verses. And I pray and ask that you will reveal yourself so that we may embrace you. And so we thank you for the love that you've shown us, for the demonstration of faith that all these men and women have uh, given. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning as we look at Sarah, we're going to see her faith. And we're going to see how her faith received, how it produced, and how it remained. And so we begin by how her faith received. By faith, Sarah received 
the ability to conceive at 90 years old. She was 90 years old when she received the ability to conceive, which was a little shocking to her. <laughs> but this, her first response, wouldn't seem to be one of faith. As we go back and we jump back to Genesis, and look, we're going to read it. We're going to read what happened when it went down. We're in Genesis 17, starting in verse 15. When God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and he shall be a mother, or, and, he, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Is that a good response when God tells you he's going to do something? <laughs> and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In the history, we try to help God all the time. But God said, no. See, God does answer no sometimes. No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with them, God went up from Abraham. And so there was a reason it was important that the line uh, the, of the promised one, the line of the the covenant that he was to make would come from Sarah because Sarah was part of the lineage of David and was part of the lineage of Jesus. And so the covenant laid with that line, that bloodline, not the other one, not the workaround that he gave. You know, it's funny, as we study scripture and look at the workarounds that people do for God, none of them really turn out well. Have you ever noticed that? They usually turn out to be a problem. And so it's really important that we don't try to go off the rails and do our own thing, but that we follow what God wants us to do and what He is up to. And so we jump from there over to chapter 18 in Genesis, and we're going to read verses 9 through 13. Then they said to him, and the uh, the Lord had appeared to uh Joseph at this point. And then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. She was drawing AARP. <laughs> Verse 12, 
Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am old? See, the Lord heard what was going on in her heart. And he asked it. Now, does that sound like somebody who had faith? It doesn't sound that way. And so here's the beauty of this. Because that's not really faith, is it? That's doubt. So somewhere, someplace, somehow, Sarah moved from doubt to faith. And in that, received the ability to conceive. Now, it said at this same time, around the same time next year, we know there's nine months of just, was it three months before she came around to it? Was it? Because her ability to conceive was tied to her faith. It says it. And so at some point that happened. And Sarah, it's really interesting how this all plays out. So her first response was to laugh and deny it when she was confronted. Listen, our first response to the Lord, if it lacks faith, doesn't doom us to failure. You ever had that happen where God asked you to do something or showed you something or spoke to you about something or wanted you to do it? And you're like, you know, you know, God, I know you can, but you're probably not going to. You ever said that? We don't say God can't. We said he probably won't because we feel more comfortable because none of us would say God can't do something. Everybody in here say God can do anything, right? So we won't say that God can't do it. We'll say that he probably won't do it, even though he's told us something else. Because that's our hedging. Because our faith would be in jeopardy or in question or in peril or on shaky ground if God doesn't come through. So we're protecting ourselves against our own lack of faith. By not saying, if God, if you said it, I believe you're going to do it, and I'm going to stand on it. And so Abram, Abram or Abraham, and Sarah here, God is giving them a son. And so, how do we know that lack of faith initially, an initial response, does not doom us to failure? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we are told by faith she received the ability to receive, uh, to receive beyond conceive, beyond the proper time of life. And so we know that that's what happened. God overcame life's physical limitations to accomplish his purposes. See, our limits, ladies and gentlemen, are not God's limits. We have a tendency to tie our limits and what we can do, what we can't do, to and say, well, God can use me this way, because I'm really good at that. And say, God can't use me this other way. Or, has God ever asked you to do something you don't want to do? Well, if God asked you, you would want to do it, right? What's wrong with you? No. God asks us to do things we don't want to do because sometimes we're not on his agenda. 
or it's something we're uncomfortable with. Aren't there some difficult, uncomfortable situations in life where God's hand can work? And so, here, (laughs) why, we must ask ourselves, why does God do that? Well, she considered, you know why she received that? You know why she moved from doubt to faith? It's not because she said, well, you know, I can make that happen. I'm only 90. I'm still young. That's not what she said. It tells us that she considered him faithful who promised. See, her faith wasn't in what God could do or was going to do. Her faith was in the God who would do it. And we so often will do that. We will put our faith and hope in the event or the behavior or the thing that should be happening instead of the God that makes that happen. See, it's relation. It goes back to relationship. But here it is in Genesis and in Hebrews. It's about relationship. Either we believe and are convinced that he can or we're not. See, she saw his abilities and not her own. She didn't discount it because of her situation. She did initially. She said, man, I'm, that, that ship has sailed, God. <laughs> you know? I'm 90. I don't want a newborn. And all the people over 50 said. Amen. <laughs> right? I don't want a newborn. You see, that's what faith is though. Faith is trusting his ability, not your own. In a God-directed situation, you look, do you, do you look to your abilities or God? See, we have to decide. When God shows us something, that's it. It's done. Whether we have the resources in front of us right then or not. I've never seen anybody who saw them initially when they were going to go and make the Ark of the Covenant. Where did that come from? It's two steps back. They had gold earrings and all this other stuff that they misused initially for a golden calf. But that gold was meant for the Ark. That gold was meant for God. And so the resources are there. We don't always see them initially. And so we have to make a decision whether we're going to choose his abilities and walk in faith. You know, why would we ever... Have you ever seen like you're trying to break through on something and and it just wouldn't break through? Have you ever felt that way in your journey with God? I've felt that way before, where it's just like, man, what's the deal? What's the problem? Where's the disconnect? Why isn't this happening? And so we start trying to help God out. And we have to be careful that we don't get off the reservation, if you will. We don't get off of where God wants us to be. Because in the center of that, that's where God reveals himself. And equips and provides. And so her faith allowed her to receive. Faith 
without faith, we know without faith it's impossible to please God. But her faith opened up doors to the hand of God in her life. And so not only did her faith receive, it allowed her to, to conceive or receive, uh, her faith produced as well. Because of Sarah's faith, there was born to Abraham, who notes here that he was as good as dead being 100 years old. A couple things. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number. That's a big family. It's <laughs> a big family. For somebody who's 100 years old to get started. Descendants as innumerable by the sand of the seashore. You know, it's really interesting because these both are saying the same thing, right? Is there a number to the stars of the heavens? Yes. But then in the next phrase, what is this is so cool how God does this. In the next phrase, that, but the number was not known to them. The number is not known to us. But in the next phrase, it says, descendants as innumerable as the sands on the seashore. So what he's saying is so that, what he, <laughs> to me, this is the, the smart alecky um, unwind. He's like, well, if you're going to get smart about it, well, it's innumerable. The descendants are innumerable. But there's a number. Israel, at some point, when this thing is all said and done, there's a number. But it's not for us to number. What he's saying is there's so many people there that, and your descendants that they're innumerable. In other words, my, what I'm going to do in you and the blessings and the things that are going to follow, flow out of that, are not going to be able to be counted. And so what's happening here is God is revealing what he's about to show them. See, they never physically saw the innumerable descendants. Who did, what did they see? Isaac, right? They didn't, they didn't see all of the nation of Israel because they were gone. They were gone. And so God showed them something that they never saw come through except for just a little piece. They only saw Isaac. And so God's plan for us go beyond us and are for the benefit of others. You know, we so often, we, and we talk about it, and I'm as guilty as anybody. We want to see your hand, God. We want to see what you're up to. Can't we just rest and take confidence in the fact that God's up to something? Do I have to see it or can I just be convinced whether I see it or not? Y'all all give me that look. You know that makes me go longer. The only thing in your favor today is the pot line. <laughs> is it okay that we don't always see the hand of God? Can we trust him that he's at work? Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in a situation where you, where God then revealed himself and you were able to look back and see that he had been working all along? So why would we not assume that's going on around us right now? Mm 
We thought, well, that was just that event. No, it's not. God's at work all the time. He's at work all the time. The benefit we enjoy is we get to partic- we get is participation in his plans. We get to be a part of it. That's what's really cool. He picked you for the team. You matter. Well, I don't have this. And it's so funny. I've, I've heard this my whole ministry. When we talk about that, everybody wants to talk about what they're not good at. Or they compare themselves to somebody else. Well, I can't sing like Stephen. You know what? If God wanted you to sing like Stephen, you would. Why well, can't mow like Aaron? Listen, she's a mowing monster. And we're glad for her. Otherwise, we might not even be able to see the church. <laughs> Some people are good at accounting. Some people have a heart for people that just, they have the gift of evangelism. And they're meant to ignite our fire for evangelism. Because the gift of the teacher just wants to instruct. The evangelist says, you know, that's great. Let's go tell somebody about all that. And the gift, you know, where's Jeannie? The gifts are meant to equip the body. So the gift of evangelism, the gift of administration, the gift of the teacher is to equip the body to go do the work of ministry. We so often want to say, okay, lead us in ministry because this is your... No, teach us so we all lead into ministry. So we all have the passion for evangelism. We're all able to learn how accounting works. We can all take a turn on the mower. By the way, we're still looking for a couple people to help. And that's how it works. And so, remember this. The benefit we enjoy is participating. And genuine faith produces. Genuine faith produces. And so her faith received. She received the ability to conceive. Her faith produced Isaac and generation that were uncountable. But her faith remained. And this is an interesting, it's like an intermission. Yeah, have y'all ever been to anything that had an intermission before? Anybody? Just me and Gavin. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Gavin. <laughs> but we get this, but, it, but what I realized was is it's really not an intermission. It's, it's the writer, the author... Time letting us see the thread of what was the same among all these first ones that we talked about. Because we go back to Abraham next week and we see another event in his life that has been speaking to me in <laughs> amazing ways as of late. We move into verses 13 through 16, and it says there, So that all these died in faith without receiving the promises. Can you imagine? They died in faith without receiving the promises where God promises and says, I'm going to do this. 
And then they put faith in him. They live their life and they die and they never see it happen. But they're in Hebrews 11. Because the issue wasn't God delivering. The issue is faith. God may not, you know what? I'm going <laughs> to, no, I have to save it for next week. I'm dying to share something with y'all I've seen. I'm really excited about it. And so, they died in faith without receiving the promises. But you know what? <laughs> but they did see them. They did see them. You want me, you want me to tell you how they saw them? You want me to read it to you? I'm going to jump back to verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. They saw it by faith. They didn't need to see it actually come about because they saw that God was already going to do it. They understood already. It was real and true to them. And so they saw them. They welcomed them from a distance, we're told. <coughs> They welcomed them from a distance. And they confessed that they were strangers on the earth. Boy, that's a big one. We are not going to participate in what God is up to. We're just not. <clears throat> if we make this world our home. Because we're going to pursue the things of this life. The things that are here. And we're going to define our success whether we have it or we don't. You know, it's so funny. We think that money and freedom and all of that are success. I want to tell you something. Those are the, those are the wrong benchmarks. The only benchmark for success is am I walking in the center of God's will in this moment at this second? And if I am, that's successful for His glory. To the day I die. My goal is to die broke. I'm praying that's not my father's goal. <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> so I want to use every resource I have for the glory of God. I want it to be all used. Not for just me. This isn't about me. See, they were, they, I mean, here are these folks, they, they're, they're coming out, they, they're, God has taken them out, and they weren't longing to go back. They were longing for Him. And I wonder if we've kind of lost that in our journey. Do we long for Him? Is serving God really uncomfortable or is it a joy? Do we pursue Him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or is religion something we go do every now and then? Is it a behavior or is it an identity? And I'm going to tell you it's who you are. 
Yes, here you are. We talked to the children uh, Friday night. We had a good time, didn't we, kids? I think the parents had a good time, too. We had fun. And it was a really, we had a cool moment. We had four kids raise their hand and pray, said they prayed and received Christ on Friday night. And if those kids meant what they said, they're changed forever. It's undeniable. You cannot hide it. Let me ask you this. How many of you know what a caterpillar looks like? It's not a trick question, I promise. How many of you know what a butterfly looks like? You know they're kind of the same animal, right? If you see a butterfly crawling on the ground, do you, does anybody ever mistaken that for a caterpillar? So behavior doesn't define what something is. What it is defines what it is. And so if we're a brand new creation in Christ, that's who we are. And if you've never met him, if you've never come to that place where you said, I'm going to turn my life over to you. Because there is churches across America filled with people who say they believe in God. I believe. The devils believe and they tremble and they're not going to be redeemed. But there comes a time where we turn and trust with our life. That's what faith is. We cross that line and we say, you know what? I realize I'm insufficient and I realize that I'm a sinner. And put our faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as payment for our sins. And what happens from that is we're a brand new creation in Christ. And so that's we no longer seek the things of the earth. We seek Him. And that's what's being talked about about these guys here that made the Hall of Faith. They weren't looking to go back. They weren't looking back at something. They weren't going, man, I really long for Egypt or wherever. I mean, what if Abraham said, man, I really miss Haran? Would that undermine him a little bit? Yeah. Because you would question God. We don't want to go back. We want to go up. They were seeking a heavenly home. And so what we seek matters. Why would we ever seek earthly things? Why would we seek something that God created instead of the God who was able to create it? Is that crazy? What's the value of your soul? Listen. If we could take the money from all the whole globe, all the economies of the world, and give it to you in exchange for your soul, would you make that trade? I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't give up heaven for that. I wouldn't give up my relationship for that. The problem is, a lot of times our price is lower. And we'll give it up for certain things. Now, we're not going to really give it up. We know better than that. 
But we have to be careful. Why would we seek earthly things? Because listen, they were seeking God's things. And that's why he wasn't ashamed to be called their God. And by the way, he prepared a city for them. He did. He prepared a city for them. So the question is, what are we seeking? What are you giving up for what you're seeking? Because there's, listen, there's a cost to everything. God's things or earthly things? Are God's things for earthly things or earthly things for God's things? You know, young people, and my time is uh, when I work with youth, it is a real temptation for students to give up Christianity for popularism. Well, if if it makes them like me, I'm not going to stand for Christ. But they'll never say that. What they'll do is they'll just make a decision that their faith is quieter. And that's what it looks like. And so it's very subtle. And we have subtleties in our life as well. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Remember, Matthew 6.33 says this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And that's not a recipe to get the things. Because what things is he talking about? What are they seeking in the verse? Seek God and His righteousness. So what are we talking about? It's not a trick question. God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God and His righteousness. Not money and safety and home and all that. That's not what He's talking about. Read the context. Context is everything. If I'm seeking God, He's added to me. If I'm seeking His righteousness, He's added to me. That's enough. So are you walking in faith, seeking the things of God? That's what we're left with. Sarah, I think, is more like us. You're like, what? You want me to do what? I'm not eating you. Do you uh, what? <laughs> And so, what do we learn from this passage on Sarah? Well, is there anything in your life that God has said and your response to God, either vocally or by action, communicates that you believe it's something too hard for? I cannot tell you. I mean, I've talked to lots of people who felt like God led them to do something who never did it. One of them said, every time you speak, I get convicted about this. (laughs) Talk to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Do it. And if it falls, you know what we're afraid? We're afraid God won't deliver. That's what we're really afraid of. You can play the game. You can look all churchy all you want. But we're afraid that God ain't going to come through. And then our whole life will be in question. Let me tell you something. When God leads you to do something, it may be for that thing. But as we're going to see next week, it may be for something else. 
It may not be for what you think he led you to. That's my teaser for next week. I hope you'll all be here. And bring a friend. So there's good news. Here's the good news about that. About the fact, well, let me ask the question again. Is there anything in your life that God has said and your response to God, either vocally or by action, communicates that you believe it's something too hard for him? If you've done that, there's good news for you this morning. You haven't ruined it. But you must pursue it. Sarah didn't ruin it when she laughed. God still delivered through. Still brought Isaac along. The Jewish nation is as innumerable. They're all over the globe. And so you haven't ruined it, but you need to pursue it. Two, have you ever watched the hand of God move in your life when you've exercised faith in Him? Now let me give you an example. How about salvation? When you ask God, did He save you? Do you remember that moment? We forget. That's our story. How about answered prayer? We had answered prayer in here. The answer was no. We saw a man pray and God told him no. That's not my plan. God does not answer prayers that are not in alignment with his plan. He says no to them. Here's the biblical example. That's not popular, but that's factual and biblical. That's what matters. The truth matters. Don't compromise truth to do ministry. People do that all the time, and it just... I had a pastor make that comment to me. You can't accomplish God's work man's, with man's techniques. And I had seen it from that, that side when, I, when we were doing what we were doing. And I thought it was great advice. Because we need to receive the truth, even if it doesn't align with us. Does the truth always align with you? Anybody? My hand's not up. <laughs> and so, what about our leading and obedience? Listen, remember all you've seen him do and know that it's not over. It's only just begun. It's only just begun for us. That's the good news. We're only just beginning. Three. Do you see faith as risky? Do you see faith as risky? Do you do a risk analysis when it comes to exercising your faith? Well, I'm kind of putting myself out on a limb for God with that. I could lose my friend. I could lose a family member, a relationship. We don't have that same analysis when they, if somebody offends us. Well, I could lose a friend if I get upset. You ever notice that? But we do that when it's talking about faith. And all it is, is self-justification or self-righteousness and it stinks. 
But what about me? In this world, we want results, even instant results. And faith frees us from the things of this world and ties us into the eternal things God is up to in our lives and the lives around us. See, we can't participate in any of that without faith. And as everybody knows, faith is not, there's no such thing as blind faith. Blind faith is foolishness. Because we see who God is. We see sometimes what he's up to, but we see who he is. And that's where our faith is. That's what happened for Sarah. Her faith was in the one who promised, not in what he promised. And if God tells me to do something and it changes, my faith in him is unaffected. But if I was had faith in the event and then it changes, I'm going to be going, what's up with that, God? And we'll ride this roller coaster of life by if our faith is in what we're doing instead of the person or what he's up to. And so where do you place your faith? We place it in him. Living without, let me tell you something. <laughs> If you think faith is risky, living without faith is a lot riskier. It's a lot riskier. You know, I had a friend. And uh, people used to calculate the cost. What does it cost to follow Christ? And I loved him, but he would always turn stuff on me. And we were talking about that question one day. And he said, you know what's never asked? What's the cost of not following? What are you missing out on that you could have been a part of? What did you not see? Or I'll tell you this. If I'm exactly where God wants me to be, doing exactly what he wants me to do, that is the safest place for me even if I lose my life. Because I know what God is... We cling to this life like it's... You know, we, we hold on, but it, and like there's nothing after it. Let me tell you something. The stuff that's after this is much better. <laughs> it's much better. You know, I, was, I remember I was at this funeral once, and I was a little offended at first. I have to admit. The pastor that was preaching it said, so-and-so wouldn't come back if they could. Why would they want to? Why would you want to come back here? You know, it's funny, how many of you who, as you get older, kind of start feeling, man, I'm ready to get out of this place. <laughs> you know, the way the world is going, evil men waxing worse and worse. Truth is all relative anymore. We have reconstructionist history going on. Well, that never really happened. I heard somebody, to, some teacher lost their job because they said the Holocaust never happened. They should have. The Holocaust did happen. How do you explain six million dead bodies? It wasn't a traffic accident. And we want to rewrite it because we don't like it. Let me tell you something. We need, to, we need to be people who love God and love the truth and are unwilling to compromise even if the compromise we think turns out to our advantage. 
Why would I ever want to support or be a part of something that doesn't line perfectly with God's word? I told people in my seminary, I said, if I find another group that's closer to God's word, I will no longer be Baptist. And they were like, remember Bugs Bunny when he'd do that? Kids look, who's Bugs Bunny? <laughs> Because it's about the word of God. Don't compromise it. Say yes when God directs you. I mean, look at what was going on with Sarah. There's so much that speaks to us in there about imperfect faith. Yes, she makes the hall of faith. Isn't that cool? I thought that was really amazing about Sarah. And so I was reading the story this week about it was... uh, I know, other than Don, is there any other Law and Order fans out there? Yeah, right? Here's my binge watchers. We have certain ones we like and certain, you know. But there was this lawyer, and he was, he was defending his client. And this was a murder case, and there was no body. And so the defense, they got to the close, and the defense was closing. And he's telling the jury, he's explaining why his his defendant is, or his, yeah, his defend, the defendant is not guilty. And he said, I want every one of you to look at that door. The person they said is dead is going to walk through in one minute. And all the jurors' heads turned and looked at the door. And the person did not walk through. And he said, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the fact that you looked at the door means you have reasonable doubt. So they sent the case to the jury. The jury deliberated 30 minutes, came back, and pronounced a verdict of guilty. And the attorney's like, what? But you all looked. You all looked at the door. That's reasonable doubt. What happened? And one of the jurors said, we looked, but your client didn't. Because he had no doubt. Listen. When you walk in faith without doubt, your eyes are fixed on Jesus. We don't look to the world. We don't look to the things because we know, just like he knew, what the truth is. And so where you place your eyes matters. Where you place your eyes matters. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.